Well, I didn't mention it earlier, but if you are a guest with us, if you're new around here, my name is Kenny. I have the privilege of being uh, the pastor here at Mission Way. And uh, for the last several uh, weeks, we've actually been going through a series. Thank you. Going through a series through the book of Matthew. Um, If you're unfamiliar with that, Matthew is uh, the first book of the New Testament in the Bible. And Matthew was one of Jesus' followers, one of his 12 disciples. But before he ever followed Jesus, he was a tax collector and uh, was hated by many of his own people. And he would have been one of the least likely people to follow after Jesus. But Jesus called him and he followed him and Jesus transformed his life. And later on, Matthew would write an account of the life of Jesus. Somebody who was there, who saw it, he would write down the things that he saw. And uh, we have that written down for us in our Bibles. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 tonight, if you have your Bible. If not, scripture references and many things will be on the screen for you as well. But uh, we're just going to kind of continue that series. And you don't, you don't have to have been here for the other messages to really know what's going on tonight because we're going to look at a very familiar story or at least very familiar characters of the Christmas story. We're going to dive into the wise men as Matthew tells us about them in chapter 2. But I want to ask a question for you to think about, not obviously for anybody to answer out loud, but for you to think about as we get going tonight. I want to just jump into the, the deep end right away. Why are you here tonight? What... What brought you here? And there's going to be a lot of different answers to that, I know. Maybe it's tradition, and that, that is for many of us. I would say that to some extent, I'm, I'm here because it, it is a traditional service that we have on Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve as we do here. Maybe you're here out of compulsion. You might feel like, I, I need to be here for some reason, or to, to show somebody else that I'm here, or keep appearances with somebody. I don't know. Maybe you don't know exactly why you're here, but you find yourself here. My hope And my prayer, if I can just be upfront right away, is that all of us would end tonight having been here to worship Jesus and to give him the praise that he is worthy of, he alone is worthy of. We're going to read an account of these wise men that did just that. That's what the story of the wise men is about, is that they came to worship Jesus. I want to to show you a photo of the nativity scene. And uh, I did this earlier. We We had a lot of kids in here. I asked if any of the kids in uh, the service, and I, I can do that again. Do any of the kids in here, and even the adults, does anybody know um, who should not be in that picture, the nativity scene? Anybody? Somebody said no. That's good. I appreciate that. The wise men. The wise men were not there the night that Jesus was born. Um, matter of fact, we know from the story that it's very possible it was as much as two years after the birth of Jesus that they showed up. So uh, we know that the wise men could not have been there the night that Jesus was laid in the manger. They showed up later in the story. And that's one of many myths about the wise men. Matter of fact, we, we have no idea if there were three or not. We, we just assume there were three because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There could have been two. There could have been 20 wise men. We have no idea how many actually showed up. We're not sure where they came from. We're not sure if they were kings, even though we sing we three kings. There's two myths in that one song, by the way. We don't, we don't know a lot of things about the wise men, but we fill in the story with all these details. We don't know if they had nice clothes on like we often see them pictured. They may have, but I'm thinking they had a long journey in the desert. I'm not going to wear my nicest clothing to go on a long journey through the desert. They may have. We don't know that. But in all of the myths and all of the facts surrounding the story of the wise men, Matthew writes this story for one reason and one reason only, to show us that these wise men came to worship Jesus. That's why he writes this. He doesn't get us caught up in the details like we do. And so I want to ask you to throw out maybe all of your assumptions about the wise men as we read their story tonight. I'm going to read their story from Matthew, 12, Matthew chapter 2, sorry, verses 1 through 12, and we'll make a few points and be done tonight. 
Matthew writes, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, the wise men went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The first thing I notice about this story is that Matthew uh, very quickly shows us that this is not just a story. This is historical fact that he's recording for us because he he grounds it in history. He says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. He's talking about Herod the Great, who we know not just from the Bible, we know Herod the Great from other secular sources of history as well. Many many things have been written about him. He ruled in, in the area of Judea under the Roman rule from about 37 to 4 BC. And his, his rule was really characterized mostly by tyranny. Um, he was not considered a very kind ruler. And we'll, we'll hear more details about Herod in just a bit. But Matthew's grounding this in a historical moment. He's saying when Jesus was born is during the time that Herod was the king, and that's when the wise men came. And whether or not you and I realize it, this is quite an amazing story. Because there, for, in our minds, there's really not a whole lot of reason why some Gentile noble men and wise men would travel a great distance to come and see a Jewish king. Why would they do that? What's the purpose of them traveling this great distance to meet a child from some star that they thought they might have seen? Maybe at first glance, it doesn't seem like it makes a whole lot of sense, but we're going to find out exactly why they did that. But they were some of the most unlikely visitors. The shepherds were unlikely visitors. It wasn't it wasn't, uh, pe- they weren't people that you would expect to come and see Jesus after he was born, it would be shepherds and then wise men. And maybe you too are an unlikely person to be here hearing the story of Jesus tonight. My prayer tonight for all of us is that as we look at the story of the wise men, we would all journey with them to Bethlehem to see and worship the Savior born there to save his people from their sin. That's what Matthew's doing. He's inviting us into this story to not just see what the wise men did, but that we would follow suit as well to come and worship Jesus. The second thing I noticed about this story is, as I mentioned earlier, we don't get a lot of the details that we want, right? We wanna know uh, how many wise men and where did they come from and why exactly did they bring gifts and how many gifts and all, what, 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 about, what about the deal with the star? I mean, this star seems so mysterious. I mean, was it an actual star? Was it a supernatural occurrence? We'll talk about some of that later, but again, Matthew's point in writing this is not to give us those details. Matthew's point is to get, lead us to Jesus. 
It reminds me a little bit of a, a pretty famous comedian's uh, bit about the fact that women always want to know more information than men have to give. Uh, so he tells a story about getting a text from a friend that his friend, I don't remember the name of the friend, I'm just going to call him John. John was in a bad wreck, we need to pray for him. And his wife said, well, where was he and how bad was he? And he said, I don't know, I just know I got a text that said John was in a bad wreck, we need to pray for him. And his wife was like, well, was anybody with him in the car? He said, I don't know, I just got a text saying John was in a bad wreck, we need to pray for him. And on and on and on it goes, right? And that's how we are with scripture sometimes. With the life of Jesus, with the, the accounts of his birth, there's a lot of questions we go, wait a minute, what about this and what about that? But Matthew writing this doesn't pay attention to a lot of that because his point is different than what we want it to be. He wants to lead us straight to Jesus. And there are things we do know about this story, though, and that's what I want to talk about. Really briefly, the first one is why they came. We know very plainly why they came and what prompted them to come, the wise men. They came because they wanted to worship Jesus. They were prompted to come because they saw his star when it rose, and they came to worship. And to understand everything in that, those two verses in Matthew 2, 1 and 2, you need to know a little bit about the wise men. Uh, they were more accurately called magi, and the Magi were not just a group of people that existed during the time of Jesus, by the way. They had been around for centuries at this point. And uh, they were all over the place. They were wise, they were wise men. Uh, they, they studied much. They, they gained a lot of knowledge. They would study the stars. Um, they would study science to whatever degree they could. They wanted to gain as much knowledge as they could. And they were considered wise men. Many of them would try to interpret dreams and things like that. We also know much about the wise men from the book of Daniel. If you go to the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, hundreds of years before Jesus came, uh, there are wise men in Babylon at that point. And Daniel ended up becoming one of those wise men, considered one of those wise men. And so a lot of scholars believe that these wise men that came to see Jesus could have come from Babylon and could have very well been influenced by Daniel's writings. And that's why they knew when this star rose, they knew the prophecies about Jesus. Prophecies like we find in Numbers chapter 24. Way before Jesus ever stepped on the earth, it was prophesied of him, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, pointing to Jesus. And so they traveled to the one place that they thought the king would be, Jerusalem. And they show up on the scene asking to find this king that had been born. And we know that if they traveled from Babylon, the journey would have taken at least 40 days. So they traveled a great distance to come and see him, to come and worship. Now, we don't know how much they actually knew about the Messiah. We, we don't know if these magi knew all the prophecies. They, they don't seem to have known the prophecy that he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. But they knew one thing, that the king had been born and they wanted to come and worship. And so they sought him out. Now let's talk about uh, the star for a minute. Let's talk about the star that they followed. Because there's a lot of speculation about this. Was it a star? Was it a meteor? Was it the planets aligning and just leading them in the general direction? There's a lot of theories out there. Now, when I read this account, I read verse 9, that this star did not just lead them in a general direction. Verse 9 says very clearly, it led them exactly to where Jesus was. And it rested over the place where he was, over the, the house that they were staying in. Which leads me to believe that this was a supernatural occurrence. And you might say, well, that, that doesn't happen. The magic stars don't appear to lead wise men to go and see a baby. That doesn't happen. But here's the thing. Tonight, we're not just talking about a baby that was born in Bethlehem. We're talking about Jesus who would grow up to die and then rise again three days later. 
And in my mind, if Jesus can, which we believe and proclaim, if Jesus can rise from the dead, he has no trouble putting a star in the sky to lead the wise men to where he is. I mean, if I, if I were able to prove to you, if I told you, come with me to the gym, and I'm going to show you, and I prove to you that I can bench press 600 pounds, which I cannot do, and I don't think I will ever do, by the way. But if I proved that to you, and you saw me do that, you probably wouldn't have a lot of trouble believing that I can open a pickle jar, right? Because I've, I've done the one, something so great, something so, so heavy that it wouldn't be a difficult stretch to believe that I can do something lesser than that. That's, my, that's part, part of my take on this that I don't have a whole lot of trouble believing that God would put a star in the sky to lead these wise men supernaturally to where Jesus was. If he can raise from the dead, there's, not, there's nothing he cannot do. If he can put the stars in the sky in the first place, why can't he create another one to lead the wise men to where they needed to go? And furthermore, the wise men themselves didn't seem to have trouble with this. These were men of science and knowledge, and they saw this star rise, and they didn't go, that doesn't happen. Stars don't just appear, and they, they didn't ignore it. They pursued it. They wanted to know the truth. Because they were not, they were not skeptical of, of the truth that was in front of them. And that's how many people often are these days. Many people, when they hear the story of Christianity, when they hear the gospel, their first reaction is to figure out, what kind of hole can I poke in this, rather than sincerely seeking the truth. I love what Alistair Begg said. He said, God will not pander to our intellectual arrogance, but he will respond to our intellectual integrity. In other words, the Bible says it this way, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Those who approach truth, those who approach the message of Christianity, the gospel, with pride, thinking that we know better than God, thinking that we have more knowledge than what God has, God opposes that pride. These wise men did not seem to have that. They seemed to humble themselves enough to sincerely seek the truth, and God honored that, and he led them to the truth. Proverbs 3.34 actually says it this way, toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. To those who scorn the truth, God scorns them, but those who are humble, those who want to seek the truth, he gives favor. The wise men humbled themselves in their pursuit of the truth. God honored their search by supernaturally leading them to the truth himself, Jesus. And in, and in a way, that's what he does for all of us. None of us just stumble upon the truth. None of us have all of the knowledge that we need to know about who God is. And, and none of, about the Bible actually says no one seeks after God. God is the one who opens up our hearts. God is the one who leads us to the truth. And he does it supernaturally through his Holy Spirit. And that's my prayer for everybody in here. Not just that you would gain some facts about Jesus and the story of Christmas. They are facts. And there, there is history there to prove that. But that you would come to see and know Jesus. That the Holy Spirit of God would open up your heart to see him and to know him. That's what the wise men did. And they came to worship this one that had been revealed to them. Number two, let's look at what they observed. In contrast to the humility of the wise men, we have Herod and the religious leaders of the day. So the wise men are faced with this truth and they seek the truth. Herod is faced with the truth that a king has potentially been born and he faces it with anger. The religious leaders, we'll see in just a minute too, they hear that potentially the king has been born, the Messiah has been born in Bethlehem, and they meet it with indifference. 
these men who knew so much about the scripture, who knew so much about the prophecies, hear that the prophecies might be fulfilled and they don't even go to see what's going on. But the wise men wanted to know, so they show up in Jerusalem and they start asking around. They're like, have you, have you seen the king of the Jews? He's been born, we saw his star, we know he's here, where is he? And apparently they caused the commotion, so much so that Herod the king wanted to talk to them. Now I think of it this way, I was born uh, and raised in the Bahamas on a very small island with about 1,500 people. So if you showed up to ask where I was, in about an hour, the entire island is going to know that you're there and you're looking for me, right? Because word travels fast. And I imagine that's a little bit of how it went. The wise men is just asking, they're, they're asking everybody and eventually it gets to Herod and Herod wants, and, and this is what Matthew says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod was troubled because if there's another king, there's a threat to his rule. Matter of fact, Herod was known in history for putting his own wife, one of his wives, many wives, and some of his children to death because they threatened his rule. So he's not, he's not gonna wait around to see whether or not this is legit. He just wants to eliminate the threat. And then Jerusalem is troubled along with Herod because they knew Herod. They knew that if Herod finds out there's another king in town, there's no, there's no telling what he will do. And it proves that their fears were verified because later on in the story, we won't get into it tonight, Herod orders the slaughter of all the male children two years and under to get rid of this threat. And we'll, we'll see more of that story as we move through Matthew here at Mission Way. But Herod responds with anger. And so he summons the chief priests and the scribes. These are the men who, who knew the scriptures. They knew the Jewish prophecies about the Messiah. He says, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it's written, and they quote, actually two prophecies are put together here from Micah 5.2 and 2 Samuel 5.2. You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod's in trouble. Because at the very least, <clears throat> the people think that a king has been born. And even the people thinking that he's a king is a threat to Herod. And these rulers, these religious leaders are now faced with the reality that their long-awaited king might be born. Herod responds with anger and the religious leaders with difference. And I think about the contrast here. These wise men that we're talking about tonight traveled a great distance to come and see the king of the Jews, these pagan wise men. And yet, the religious leaders of this day, the ones who are supposed to be waiting for Jesus, won't even travel six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to see if the king has been born. And it got me thinking a lot about religious people and those who know a lot about Christianity, know a lot about the Bible, and a thought occurred to me that those surrounded by religion, those familiar with God's laws, those who know the Bible, those who are in church and surrounded by the things of Christianity, need repentance and salvation just as much as the person who has never heard of or even hates God. Every single person, no matter your knowledge of the scriptures, no matter how much you know about Jesus and the Christmas story, all of us need the same thing. We need salvation. And all of us get there one way, through Jesus, through repenting of our sin and trusting in Jesus. Whether you're one of the wise men, whether you're one of the rulers of the day, whether you're just somebody trying to figure life out, all of us need repentance and faith in Christ. And one of my biggest burdens as a pastor is obviously 
all who don't know Christ and all who don't have salvation in his name, but, but, but a big burden in my heart is those who are in the church, those who are surrounded by religion, surrounded by rules, surrounded by a system that they think that they've mastered, but they've never placed their faith in Christ. They think that it's their knowledge of the scriptures. They think that it's their goodness and their righteousness that's gonna earn them a place in heaven when all of us are sinners in need of repentance, no matter where you stand, no matter how you were raised, no matter how much you may know. Because the question tonight for everybody is not, do you know about Jesus? The question is, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him, a personal relationship with him? Have you repented of your sin and trusted Christ? And maybe you're like Herod. Maybe you've grown up around church and you've heard the story of Christianity and you, you hate it and you want to do everything you can to get away from it and you don't really know why you're even here tonight and you don't want anything to do with this. The reality for you is the same reality for Herod that the king of kings will prevail and his invitation to you is the same it was to Herod. Repent and find forgiveness in Christ. Turn to Jesus. The invitation is the same for all of us. Come and worship Christ, the newborn king. That's what the wise men went to do when they left Herod. So let me read one last time, just verses nine through 11 again, just to remind us of what happened when they came to see Jesus. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They came to worship this child who had been born. And I, the Christmas story blows me away far more now as a parent than it did before having children of my own. Because I have a hard time imagining apologizing to my toddler, much less worshiping a child. But that's the amazing thing about the Christmas story. This is not just an ordinary child. This is God in the flesh come to earth. God who humbled himself to come to earth in the form of a helpless babe and be laid in a manger. This is the story of Christmas. This is our last point, who they encountered. And it's easy to just say the wise men came and they encountered Jesus. But as I close tonight, I want everybody in here to be very clear on exactly who Jesus is, who this one is that they came to worship. They may have thought that, we, again, we don't know all the knowledge that the wise men had about Jesus. We know they thought he was the king of the Jews, but he's much more than that. He's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings. They brought him gifts because they wanted to honor him. And they might not have realized that this is the one who owns everything in the universe and he humbled himself to come to nothing on earth. And they brought him gifts. These wise men had spent their whole lives in search of knowledge, but now they stood before the one that Colossians says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They had spent their lives pursuing knowledge and now they're standing truth himself in the face and worshiping him. They studied the stars, and now they are beholding the one who made the stars. And at the time, he stood less than three feet tall. What a wonder this must have been to consider who they were worshiping. He's the one that Colossians says, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he stepped into this creation 
And he didn't come in the way that we would expect him to. The, when you read that verse, the one who created everything, all rulers, all authorities, you would expect him to step into royalty. But he stepped into a stable and was born as a baby. And he grew up and he was despised and rejected by men. Isaiah says, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He's Emmanuel. God with us. He stepped into our world, but he also stepped into our suffering, into, into our pain, and he's a great high priest who is familiar with our weakness. God who, who has no weakness in him, who is all-powerful, came and wrapped on human flesh and stepped into our weakness and acquainted himself with grief, not just to relate to us, not just to give us a nice story to tell on Christmas, but to save us from our sin. And that's the message of Christmas. Here's what I want you to not miss. This is not just a nice story that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better and to give us some motivation to get through life. That's not the, that's not the Christian message. The Christian message is not that Jesus came to give us a better life. The Christian message is that Jesus came to give us a new life because we're dead in our sin apart from Christ. Spiritually dead, unable to save ourselves. And Christ came to save us. And he offers us salvation freely if we would just simply turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. And if you think that Jesus becoming a baby is, is a crazy thought, he would humble himself even further than that. Think about Paul for a minute. If you never heard of Paul, he's, he's one of the guys who wrote most of the New Testament, by the way. But before he was known as Paul, he was known as Saul, who persecuted Christians. He wanted nothing to do with Christianity. He wanted to rid Christianity from the earth. And then he met Jesus, the resurrected Christ, and everything changed. And Paul would write of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 that he, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus did not come to save society, I said this past Sunday. He came to save sinners. And yes, one day he will make all things new. We'll have a new heaven and a new earth. But he didn't come to make your life better. He came to give you a new one. He didn't, come, he didn't come to give you a more comfortable life. He came to save your soul. That's the message of the gospel. And so let me ask you again, why are you here? What I know, whether you agree with me or, or believe it or not, what I know is that none of us are in this room by accident. Not only did you make a decision to come here, but the Bible tells us that the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. In other words, nothing happens by chance. Even the things that we think happen by chance, we have a sovereign Lord over the universe who's orchestrating the events of our lives. And I know you're not here by accident. And I also know that out of everything that you think you need this Christmas, your greatest need is the salvation of your soul. And that's why Jesus came. And so the invitation is simple. Would you repent and believe in Jesus today? Think of the wise men who spent their whole life in pursuit of knowledge, in pursuit of truth, and they came and they found truth 
in the form of a child, and they worshiped. My prayer is that you too would lay aside your pride, lay aside your pursuit of knowledge, lay aside your own perceived self-righteousness, and confess your sin and turn to Jesus. That's what we all need. I, I stand before all of you in the same need of grace as anybody else. We all do. We are sinners in need of the salvation that only Jesus can provide. Will you worship him? Are you like the religious leaders, maybe so close to the truth, having heard it so often and yet hardened in your heart? The words of Jesus through the religious leaders of his day were, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus did not come to call those who think they have it all together. Because if you think you have it all together, you don't think you need Jesus. Jesus didn't come because we, we made it half the way to salvation and he came to tip the scales in our favor. No, he came because we were completely dead and helpless and only he could save us. He didn't come to call the righteous, those who think they are righteous, because the Bible says none of us are in and of ourselves. We're all sinners in need of saving. And Jesus didn't just come, by the way, to, to forgive us and wipe the slate clean. He came to make us righteous. Because on the cross, when Jesus went to the cross and he, he endured the wrath of God that we deserved, he paid the price for our sin to forgive us, but he also gives us his righteousness. So that when God the Father looks down on those who are in Christ, he sees Jesus, not us. And there's no one outside of the saving ability of Jesus. And what I know is what Romans tells us, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, this Jesus that we're talking about who was born as a baby, you confess that he's Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that this baby would grow up, he would live a perfect life, and he would be crucified on a Roman cross, buried, and three days later rise again, proving that he is who he says he is. You believe that in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Let us all, with the wise men, seek this one who is the king of Jews, the king of the Jews and the king of kings. Let us, with the wise men, come to worship because the king has come. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we close. And I do this every time if you're new around here, simply just so there's no distractions. There's no gimmicks. There's no bait and switch. What, what I've sought to do is to present the truth of Jesus and who he is and to let you know that there's salvation in no one else and to let you know that the greatest need that you have is the need of your soul to be saved. And if you've never done that, my prayer is that tonight would be the night that you turn to Jesus. Maybe you got more questions. That's okay too. I would love nothing more than to talk, talk with you about this. But the other side of that is what you don't have to do is to have it all figured out. You don't have to know all the answers. You simply need to know Jesus and who he is and what he's done and to acknowledge your sin, confess it and repent, which just means to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus and put your trust in him and him alone to save you from your sin, to save your soul. And he will. And then for those who are in here and you are following Jesus, you've done that. 
my prayer for you is that you would worship Jesus. Maybe this past year has been full of distractions. Maybe this past year has been full of you doing everything but worshiping Jesus and pursuing after him. My prayer is that you would, your mind and your heart would be focused once again on Jesus. And that this, this wouldn't just be a Christmas service that you come to and you say, oh, that was really nice, I enjoyed that. But that this would be a time that you confess your sin and allow him to forgive you and restore you and that you would walk with him. And the last group I want to talk to is anybody in here that you might think that you are saved because you go to church and you, you do what Jesus says to do and you try to live your life a good way and you think that surely God's gonna honor that one day. The Bible's very clear. By grace we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. None of us are able to earn it. If you have never had a moment that you have turned from your sin and turned to Jesus, then let tonight be the night you do that. Trusting in no one else Trusting not in yourself, trusting not in what you can do, but in what Jesus has done. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you just to reflect on what's been said. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, raise a hand, none of that. Again, this is not about gimmicks. This is about all of us coming to worship Jesus, whether for the first time or just to continue in what we've already been doing. And, And I would ask you that, if tonight is a night that you make a decision to trust Christ, all I would want you to do is just to come and just to come and tell me so that I could celebrate with you. So that I could talk to you about what it means to walk with Jesus now that you've trusted in him. I would love nothing more than to do that. But let me pray, <clears throat> let me ask you to reflect on what's been said and then we'll close out with our, uh, our, our tradition of singing Silent Night together. God, I wanna ask you, to continue to speak to our hearts through your word, through what's been said. I pray that we would leave this place thinking about the things that we've heard, that we wouldn't just shove it aside and wait until next Christmas, but that we would seriously consider who you are, consider Jesus and what you came to do. And God, I pray that you would you would just continue to reveal yourself to us. For those that have never put their faith and trust in you, would you open up, open up their eyes, open up their hearts to see Jesus and to, to put their faith in you? And for those of us who do know you, who are walking with you, may we humble ourselves once again at your feet to worship you just as the wise men did. May we daily bring our gifts to you, the gift of our, of our lives as a living sacrifice. God, I pray that you would just continue to work in our hearts as we meet tonight. And we ask it all in Jesus' name.